0: Hello and welcome to Love the Agent, your new favorite podcast for all things real estate. From purchasing and rehab to staging and selling, Love the Agent covers it all. Introducing your host, Alexandria Bolton. Alex is the principal broker of Hippo House LLC. She's been practicing real estate for over 15 years. Licensed in Kentucky and Florida, Hippo House offers commercial, residential, and management services. You can find out more at lovetheagent.com.
1: Thank you everyone for tuning in to our first ever episode of Love the Agent podcast. My name is Alexandria Bolton. I will be your host for this episode and all the future ones unless I'm not feeling well. (laughs) Uh, Today I have a special guest joining me. She is somebody that I know from previous work in the flipping industry as an associate and we had to communicate on deals and her name is Rachel Richards and she is the author of money honey a simple seven-step guide for getting your financial together (laughs) Rachel thank you so much for joining me
0: yes thank you so much for having me on
1: I'm super proud of you for completing your book and I just want to start with the question of how was the experience of writing a book
0: Um, It was there were ups and downs for sure. It was a little bit of a roller coaster You know when I first started writing it, which was in 2017, I was excited The words really were pouring out of me. It was something I can I felt compelled to do and then about four months in I got really I had a lot of self-doubt and by that point I was telling myself things like your writing is crap Rachel and who do you think you are to write a book and you know all these different things so I quit writing for a period of time. Luckily, I had a good friend that encouraged me to get me back into it and I picked it up. But the only reason I went through with publishing it is because I told myself, if I can just help one person, that's all I want to do. And I'm thankful I went through with it because Money Honey has become more successful than I ever would have imagined. And it now has over, I think, 600 reviews on Amazon.
1: That's awesome. It looks great. I am astounded that you actually wrote it yourself. I was going to ask you, did you have like a, I know some people will just sit down with a writer and tell them their idea and a writer puts it out for them, but you actually wrote it yourself?
0: Yeah, I wrote it myself. A lot of people will use like ghostwriters if they feel like they're not a strong writer or maybe they don't have the time, but I've always felt I was a strong writer and it's something of a passion for me. So I decided to do it all on my
1: own. That's amazing. It, it reads very easily. It's a very easy read. It's funny. I was very impressed as I was reading it. And I, I truly was like, oh, wow, I guess a professional writer wrote this for her. I mean, that's <laughs> it. I didn't, you know, I'm just like, it seems like somebody who that's all they do wrote it. And
0: thank you. It came out really so nice. great. Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, I wanted to ask, So I've encountered you in real estate transactions before, but how did you get involved in real estate? I know you kind of go over it in your book. And before that, I'll have you answer that, but I want to talk about how you completed college with no debt. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, I'll start, I'll start with that. So have you heard of Cutco cutlery, Cutco knives?
1: Absolutely. They cut a penny.
0: Yes, they do. I think I might've done a presentation for your mom at some point. I don't remember.
1: She's, we definitely grew up having Cutco. So yeah. I don't know if you sold it to her or what, but somebody sold her Cutco and I'm very familiar with it. And that's they're so funny. Awesome yeah,
0: they're good. So that's what I did. I sold Cutco throughout college. It was, you know, I was a high school senior and looking at college, and I was totally freaked out because I had been an avid reader. I knew about student loans and how they can really hinder you in the long run financially. And I was just scared of taking on debt. Like, I'm a very debt averse person. And at the time I was working at American Eagle, you know, making like $200 per paycheck. So I was thinking, well, that's not going to cut it because I went to Center College in Danville, Kentucky, which is really expensive, private liberal arts school. Tuition was about $40,000 per year. And I did get scholarships, but I had to come up with about $10,000 in tuition on my own.
1: And that's kind of what in-state tuition is like if you're going to like a basic university. So you yeah. still had like a full tuition from my perspective, you know I'm a Exactly.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, either way you look at it, it's expensive. So I remember going into this Cutco interview and thinking it was totally weird, <laughs> but it was also the first time I'd been exposed to something where the harder you work, the more you get paid. And I knew I could outwork anybody and I had the, the motivation and the drive to do it. So I set off, you know, my parents were less than thrilled about me selling sharp objects to their family and friends, but <laughs> that's what I did. I, I sold all that summer. I set a record. In Louisville, and I was able to basically sell each summer and pay my way through school. So that's how I graduated without debt.
1: You're such a badass. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I love that mentality. I'm, you know, I'm like, I will die before I get off the treadmill if I'm like racing somebody, and I love that (laughs) attitude. Yes. (laughs) So, what got you into real estate?
0: So I. Had been working as a financial advisor. That was my first job out of college. And I did that because, yeah, so it was a lot of fun because I wanted to help people with money. That's what I've always been passionate about and help them with investing. And I had the sales background. Um, It turns out that although I was good at sales, I didn't like sales and I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life. So I did that for about a year. And then I was trying to figure out what else to do. I hadn't, I had no idea. I just hadn't thought it through, but I knew I wanted to learn about real estate investing. To me, it was one of the best tools for building long term wealth. And it was something I wanted to do. So I ended up working for a real estate investor. I think that's how we initially met. And I was working with him as sort of like a partner or assistant. And I was learning how to flip houses.
1: So you took it, sorry, as an opportunity. Like you took the job because you wanted to learn more.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. I wanted to learn. In order
1: to just educate yourself on that field.
0: Yes, exactly. I wanted to learn and get into the field. And so I did that. And then I moved and worked for a real estate agent. And that was great because it wasn't exactly what I intended when I accepted the job. I was a little bit maybe misled about the job description, but it ended up being great because I learned a lot about how realtors work, you know, buying and closing a transaction, working with lenders and insurance agents, inspections, all those different things. And both those skills ended up later helping me out because on all of my real estate investing deals, I have my real estate license. So I've represented myself as the buyer's agent. And I've had the confidence to do that. And that saved me a lot of money doing all these transactions for myself.
1: Absolutely. I actually stumbled into um, real estate in a similar way. I, well, I had a little bit of a background from my stepdad, Brad, who's a real estate attorney, but I worked for, I, I applied for a job for a sports agent assistant and they hired cool. me because I had a little bit of real estate background. And I'm like, this had, I mean, the sports agent side of it was like 10% of what I did. I'm like, this is not at all what you guys advertise for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I learned so much um, in the same way. And i love the, love the experience. There's nothing like experience to learn about a position. Yes. And you still keep your uh, real estate license, correct?
0: Yep. It's, I keep it in Kentucky. So I live in Colorado now. I'm like a long Do distance you? landlord. Yeah. Yeah. We oh just my God, here switched
1: places. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing
0: yeah it's a lot of fun we just got here a few months ago so I do still have my real estate license in Kentucky it's it's inactive at this point because I'm not actively investing anymore
1: gotcha and you still have a rental portfolio in Kentucky is that correct
0: yes my husband and I at this point we own almost 40 units and by that I mean doors it's six properties they are all in Louisville Kentucky
1: Ooh, I can't wait to ask you about that. Uh, before we dig into the next step of this conversation, I'm going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Coming back, I'm talking to Rachel Richards, the author of Money Honey, a seven, a simple seven-step guide for getting your financial shit together. So, Rachel, let's talk about your book. Okay. I love. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, what are? Let's go over some of the topics. I think one of the ones that was really. Um, impressive to me was the golden number. Can you explain that a little bit?
0: Yeah, for sure. So the golden number, that has resonated a lot with people. And basically, I ask in workshops or when I'm teaching, I'll ask people, hey, if you're trying to save up money quickly, what sorts of things will you do? And people will say, oh, well, I'll eat out less. I'll make my coffee at home. I'll stop shopping online. And what I noticed after some time is that there's a common theme in all of these responses, and all these people are focused on decreasing their expenses, which is great because we absolutely need to get our spending in line and make sure we're living within our means. But then I began thinking, there's only so much you can do to decrease your expenses, right? You can't stop buying food. You can't negotiate your mortgage payment. So there's a little bit of a limit there. There's Mm -hmm. actually two ways to increase your savings. Number one is to decrease your expenses. Number two is to increase your income. The beautiful thing about the second one is that there's no cap on how much money you can make in a year. There's nothing stopping you from making more money. I love that mentality. Yes, and that, it's so great for realtors too, because they're commission-based, so they can definitely take advantage of that. Um, so the great thing, if you really wanna make an impact with your budget, you'll do both. You'll decrease your expenses, and you'll increase your income. And that leads us into the concept of the golden number. So your golden number is how much money you have left over after your expenses each month. It's how much you're saving each month. And so you have two factors if you want to increase your savings or increase your golden number. It's those two factors, decrease your expenses or increase your income.
1: I love that. And I love um, in your book, you actually give suggestions of creating new income opportunities for yourself on the side. And they're awesome, easy you know, ways that anybody could get started. And I love that.
0: Yeah, and when I when I think about increasing your income, making more money, there's really two categories. There's active income, and this is where you're trading your time for your money. This is anyone's traditional job. You know, you're going into an office, you're making sales, anything like that. You're trading time for money. So you can make more income on this side. You can, a realtor can close more deals in a year, or, you know, anybody can go house sit, pet sit, babysit, you know, Do Uber and Lyft driving, anything like that. So those are a lot easier. Then you have passive income and passive income is where you're not trading your time for your money. It's where you've generated an income stream that is somewhat self-sustaining. We love passive income.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) The beautiful epiphany I had about passive income is that once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're retired, you're financially independent. So examples Ah. of passive income include things like rental income, royalty income. That's the big focus that I've had with my rental properties and my books. So it does take... It's no get rich quick scheme. It's not going to be as easy as generating active income. It does take time or money to create, but once you have that passive income stream going, it becomes a lot more hands-off.
1: Absolutely. It's very inspiring. The, I love the concept of royalties and rentals. And I love it, that you are able to retire by the age of 27. That is amazing.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It definitely happened a lot sooner than I thought it would.
1: Absolutely. So I feel like if I reached that point, I would then just find more things to like invest and get creative with. And I'm pro- I probably get too many things started. How do you, you know, at the same <laughs> time, how do you balance that?
0: Yeah, I've always been a bit of a workaholic. Actually, when I when I quit my job last year, because last year, twenty nineteen, is when I quit my job and retired. Um, and I use the words retired and financially independent. So, I know
1: that is so funny. <laughs> Because you're so young and you're like, I quit my job and I retire. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. A lot of people are like, well, Rachel, you're not retired. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm financially independent. So
1: now it's about- I'm financially retired. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I can work when, where, and if I want. Because a lot of people would retire whether they're young or old and they want to do the beach thing or whatever, golf. And that's fine. I just, I get bored easily. So I can't just like sit on a beach for the rest of my life. So I'm still working on things and doing what I'm passionate about. Um, Plus, my game
1: is better than- than real monopoly yeah and it's a lot more fun when you're working because you
0: want to not because you have to
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely an inspiration for others. It makes you value your time. And going back to, like you were talking about before, I remember when I made that $200 a week paycheck and I remember just <laughs> assessing things like, well, this is two hours of my time. So do I really want that t-shirt? You
0: know? Exactly.
1: Um, so how do you feel about stocks in the stock market?
0: So the stock markets had a crazy year for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, someone in my Facebook group just asked me, because the Apple stock is about to split, I think, and they just, they were asking me, hey, what's your projection on the Apple stock split? Do you think it's going to, you know, go up or down? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Like, it was a smart question, and my answer was, I don't make projections or stock predictions, and I think that financial gurus that do are crazy, because (laughs) no one can predict the future, no one can predict what's gonna happen. You can't time the market, you can't predict the market. So I always just tell people, you know, don't try to time the market, just get invested. Time is your biggest advantage. So if you get invested now, that's, more, that's gonna do more for you than trying to time the market and figure out the best time to invest. Now, because it's been such a volatile year, if you are looking to invest now and you have a sum of money, one thing you can consider doing instead of just investing a big chunk of money is spreading it out and doing consistent payments over, you know, six or 12 months. It's actually called dollar cost averaging, but it helps reduce the volatility in the market. So I think it'd be a great idea for someone to do that now.
1: So that's like buying a couple, you know, at- a tenth of the total amount that you want to invest every, you know, every month or whatever until you build it up casually. That's what you're saying.
0: Exactly. Like, you know, let's say you you could just invest a hundred bucks a month or whatever until you get everything invested that you want invested.
1: Gotcha. So you're not against stocks. You just say that you don't really play the ups and downs.
0: Yeah. I see stock market investing as a long-term thing in the short run. It's always going to go up and down. And yes, there are day traders that make Mm -hmm. money, but there are way more day traders, probably that lose money. So doing it that way is more of a speculation um, and more of a gamble. If you want to invest for the long run and get a good consistent return, that's what you do. You just invest it for the long run and you don't touch it and you don't try to time the market. You don't sell it or buy it at certain peaks or lows. You just keep it invested for the long run.
1: And the stock market is weird too, because it's intangible. So, you know, you're just watching your number on your phone go up and down. It feels like, you know, and I don't, there's something uh, insincere about that. And I think that's, what's fun about real estate is it's palpable. You can sleep there, you know, it's yours. You can make it or break it or do, you know, it's land to invest with and, Exactly.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have control over it. You can't control what the stock market does. You're just kind of a passive investor. But with rental income, you have a lot of control and you can run it the way you want to run it and make more money if you want to make more money.
1: I think it was Thomas Jefferson. I'm going to just say unknown because I'm really bad at that. But he said land when purchased in cash full is never a bad investment. And I love that. Yeah. I'm like, it's so true. If, you know, if you don't, if if you're not over leveraged or, you know, there's so many ways that you can learn to make money with lands. Like you said, the limit is the, the potential is limitless. And especially with today's options, like, you know, Airbnb and all the other wedding venues and Mm -hmm. home, you know, gardening, all kinds of things. So I, I love that perspective. So we're going to take another quick break. And when we get back, we're going to dive into rental portfolios and what Rachel suggests. We are back with Rachel Richards, author of Money Honey, a simple seven step guide for getting your financial shit together. Or, so now let's talk about your real estate portfolio. Okay, cool. So you have 40 doors, I'm sorry. Yeah. 40 doors on six properties. That's correct. Yeah.
0: I think it's like 39. I know something like that, but yes.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll round up. I like that. Italian <laughs> math. <laughs> I had a 26 unit portfolio that was 12 properties at one point and wow. it was a mixture. I had single family and multifamily and I did not like the multifamily and I've heard things all over the board about it. So I'm very curious what your experience is like having multifamily units. Do you have any single doors?
0: Um, I do. I have two single doors, but only because they were previous residences that we actually lived in. And then when we moved out of them, we just kept them as rentals. So I never bought a single family as an investment. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective too. I tend to prefer multifamily for a couple reasons. Number one is if you have a tenant that's late or a tenant that can't pay, or you have a vacancy, you're not going to have to carry the mortgage that month because you have other tenants that are still paying. So I think it helps starting out to have a little bit of that safety net. And then number two, I personally think, and I'd love your perspective on on this too, but I feel like the multifamily market is a little bit less volatile in the overall real estate market, you know, because single family homes are normally being bought by people that want to live there and that are not investors. So those tend to go up and down a little bit more, whereas multifamily houses that are bought by investors, their prices are more tied to their ability as an income producing asset. So I think that they tend to be a little less volatile and I've liked them better for that reason as well.
1: Yeah. And I guess from my perspective, I always liked the volatility of the single family because Louisville, you know, I'm like, if you buy it at the right price, then there's, you know, the potential is a little bit more limitless Mm, in developing equity. Whereas, like you said, with the multifamily, you know, you almost cap out at what it's worth from an investment perspective. I found that the multifamily, it's, I did it over in a not great part. It was not great part of town of Louisville Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was just very intense and it was hard to keep Tenants in there that would take care of it. So I don't, you know, my perspective on it was just not a unit that I would even want to live in. And I didn't like that. I felt like a slumlord. So I, you know, I was like, this isn't cool. I I don't want, I honestly don't want any units that I wouldn't stay in or live in personally. Mm.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I will say that the multifamilies we have, like the bigger buildings, they are Class C properties. They're in old Louisville. So it isn't as nice of a building or, Um, and as nice of a location as our single property families. And for that reason, because they're class C, I think, yeah, we have had more issues with tenants, you know, not being able to pay or paying late. And we've only ever had to evict on our class C properties. Our class A properties always do really well. And they've done well throughout the coronavirus.
1: So you have class A multifamilies as well?
0: We have uh, no. We have two Class A single families. Okay, gotcha. and then we have a Class B multifamily, and then three Class C multifamilies.
1: Okay, and I've never heard of the classes. Is that something that you decided, or is that an actual classification? No.
0: So I never heard of them until I don't know, maybe last year. So, but it's a thing. It's how real estate investors classify the property, and it's normally based on you know a mixture of location and how nice the building is like a newer construction building in a really low crime or better location would be a class a property. Gotcha. And so okay, my single, sense. yeah, my, my <laughs> single family house, like one of them is in um, Middletown and it's a really nice house. So that's class a. And then my class C properties, it goes all the way from class a to class D. So gotcha. class C is in old Louisville. They're not as nice properties and they're class C.
1: Gotcha. These were probably class D that I managed. So, and yeah. I, for me, it, you know, it was like the filth that you encountered when somebody did move out was amazing. I'm like, how did this happen in two months? This is yeah. seriously impressive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I tried to do an on-site property manager and I didn't have success with it. Um, let me ask you, so you're now an out of state investor. Do you have a rental management company working for you? How do you do that?
0: I don't at the moment, but I do have a great story I can share about property Please. management. It is the biggest mistake I ever made in real estate investing. Um, and it's very embarrassing. <laughs> okay, It's embarrassing, but I share it so that others will learn from my mistake. So when we were at about 26 units or so, my husband and I were still working full time. I was writing my book. We We didn't have the capacity to give the rentals the attention they deserved. So we knew we had to hire somebody to help. So there was this couple that was working for us. They were already doing stuff at the rentals, like cleaning the common areas, um, landscape, you know, maintenance stuff. So they were already doing a bunch of stuff. We trusted them. They were some of the hardest working people I'd ever met. Like they always went above and beyond. So when we got to the point to hire a property manager, we thought, well, why don't we see how they do? You know, we can make them employees and this way it's probably going to be less expensive and we can be more hands-on with how they do things. So that's what we decided to do. And that's our big mistake because it started out great. And then about six months in, my husband went to, on one Saturday, he went to pick up rent from the lock boxes on site and he realized there was a, a little or not a little a lot of rent missing <laughs> not just the normal tenant paying late it was a s- substantial amount so he called them of course they're mia we can't get a hold of them it turns out that weekend they stole about $6000 in rent and we found out that they had been squatting in vacant rooms and units on our properties for almost a year So that was great, like way to go us, totally rookie mistake. Um, It turns out they had gone on drugs and they were probably drug addicts before and saw an opportunity and took advantage of it, unfortunately. So that was a huge learning lesson for us. The moral of the story is this is not the place to be cheap. Right? don't don't try to be cheap when it comes to hiring a property manager you want to go with a company that is qualified licensed bonded insured because the yeah. thing is if we had hired that a company and one of their employees did that to us they would have been liable for the damages not us so I share that so that other people can learn from my mistakes
1: <laughs> yeah I notice in your book you recommend proper insurance and I think that's you know along the same lines and I actually have a amazing story that a poor, poor client of mine <laughs> um, this happened to. You can't just hire a professional these days that's licensed. You, re- I mean, you've got to check their license too. He hired an agent who was not a broker and who was operating, I believe, without their broker's knowledge, set up an entity, r- collected all the rent payments, took out his portion, which was, I think 10%, which is, you know, I guess standard, but I'm like, it could have been seven or so with how many doors, you know, I'm like, he didn't, he wasn't charging you cheap either. Yeah. Um, And then paid the guy and that went on for, I don't know, nine months. And he also had all the security deposits and the dude ended up just, you know, not paying him one month. And then my client, I'm like, well, you know, go talk to his broker, that broker's responsible. The broker had no knowledge of it. The entity, you know, it's, you oh get the idea, gosh. yeah, there was no uh, retribution for him either. when real estate agents do something inappropriate, they are subject to you know you can file a complaint and there's a fund I forgot what it 's called, but there is a set of funds set aside for malpractice in real estate, if you will, yeah, so I told him to go file one of those, and i, I don 't think he did because I, I think he was like, "Oh, what were my chances and it was then Corona started, but yeah, that happened to him, so i 'm like it 's not even just licensed and insured you know like you you yeah. gotta make sure that they are actually the running running it through their broker with their bro- broker's knowledge. I don't know. You know, it's like where does the checking stop? At what point can you trust people?
0: I know it's that's, we definitely had trust issues after that, but yeah, it definitely can be done. You know, I don't want to like discourage investors with my story or anything. Cause I know that was a pretty bad one, but it definitely can be done. You just have to be diligent. You have to be checking in with your property management company regularly, holding them accountable. I mean, you can't just hand over your business and livelihood to someone and trust that they're going to take care of it. That's, that's really the
1: moral of the story. I think that's huge. Yeah, that's really, really, really good input. Input. Um, I think also I've seen you know make sure that in your contract, people there's uh, you have a dollar limit. Like if something's going to cost over a hundred dollars, they need to communicate with you prior to executing that service. Um, yes, because I've also seen where people have the management company you know charge an arm and a leg to redo something. And I mean, it and that goes along one of the topics of Rachel's book where she's talking about um, expenses add up. I wrote that down because I'm like, that is something that people just, you forget about, you know, it's not just going to be a 10% cap because you're getting more than, you know, whatever, a 10th of your, what you paid for it back every month. You also have all these other things that you need to factor in. Like if, you know, the repairs, people not paying rent.
0: Yes, absolutely. Because I think one of the biggest mistakes new investors make is that they underestimate their expenses. And it's easy to think oh here's my rent income and here's my mortgage and so here's my profit and that cannot Mm -hmm. be further from the truth because you have to account for all of the other expenses i mean is there an hoa fee and what about lawn care is the tenant going to pay for lawn care or are you normally with the single family the tenant would pay what about utilities who's going to pay for utilities pest control uh, maintenance and repair, vacancy rates, capital expenditures, property Security management.
1: deposits that get yeah. used and there's still a balance. I mean,
0: yes, that's happened to me before. Pest so you really control. Have to, yes, exactly. You have to think of everything.
1: Yeah. And put a little 10% contingency for all those things on whatever you're anticipating. Yes. But it really, it helps people get better numbers. And I'm, I think you are probably like myself where I'm like, well, if I'm going to be investing in this, I'm not just going to get a substandard number. I'm going to try to get like the best rental rate that I possibly can. And that goes along with having a diverse rental portfolio too, that I sometimes recommend to my clients and investors. You know, I'm like, you want some that are just, you know, going to pay for themselves in three years, if you can handle the management on it. And it's good to have others that have potential for the property to gain value. Uh, But the, you know, there's just, there's all kinds of different ways. So yeah, for sure. It helps like the idea of having multifamilies where you can kind of offset some of them if you fluff your numbers with better, income producers, which are hard to find and hard to manage, but they're out there if you look hard.
0: Exactly. You just have to be patient. That's one thing I've learned. You know, It took us nine months to find our first investment, and that was after we'd made multiple offers. We had contracts that fell through, and it can be discouraging, but you can't settle. You have to stick to your numbers, stick to what you want out of it, and don't settle, and the right deal will come along eventually
1: never settle (laughs)
0: um
1: and it looks like you haven't with your new man and your retirement and i'm super (laughs) proud of you thank you um and i I think one of the takeaways from your book that i just want to cover before i let you go that i loved was that you said small you know go for the small goals and i think that is just such good advice you you even recommend to read a chapter a day to get through it which is you know there's so many ways that you can apply that that it's good to reward yourself on the small goals and align, you know, set yourself up for goals that you can achieve and don't settle.
0: Yes. And I think that is a key to success because often when we have a new goal and we want to get our finances in order, or we want to lose weight. Like, I don't know about you, but I personally will go way too hard in the beginning and then yes. I'll, I'll get discouraged because it's too hard and I'll fall off my plan and just feel like a failure. And I've noticed that when I literally just do the, tiniest baby steps possible, that's when I have more success. So it could even be something where you make one small tweak a year in your finance or per week, I mean, in your finances for a year. So, you know, maybe on week one, you give up soda and alcohol for that week and you just stick to water because it's cheaper. And maybe week two, you monitor your Amazon expenses. I don't know if you've ever done that. I just did that recently because I was doing a no online shopping challenge for my horse takers. And so we didn't do any online shopping for a week, but I kept trying track of everything that I was going to buy on Amazon and it was like $400. So even oh. just tracking it can be completely eye opening.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in the process of trying to hire a bookkeeper to stay on track track of it better myself. Yeah. I'm honestly I'm, I'm i'm really looking forward to getting my financial shit together and your book has already helped me i kid you not i rethought my expenses last week and did not buy things because i'm like well i could this could be a dollar today or two in the future
0: (laughs) there you go (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome
1: i know um Okay. Well, if you guys want to get a copy of Rachel's book, you can go to www.moneyhoneyrachel.com and that will link you to Amazon. It's also searchable on Amazon. Uh, what is the cost of it, Rachel, for the listeners?
0: Uh, so money. So the ebook is like five bucks and the paperback is 15 bucks. And I have actually a second edition of money, honey, that is coming out in September, 2020. So you can wait to
1: copy. Yeah,
0: (laughs) it's going to be great. I'm redoing the cover. I'm going to have a Ford in it by a well-known female finance influencer and I'm kind of redoing the whole thing. So it's going to be way better actually.
1: Awesome. Well, hopefully the timing will align and our listeners will get the new and updated copy or they can go ahead and get this one now that I love. I bought the book, the hardback. I'm a hardback person. I like to highlight and make notes and this book is full of take homes or I'm sorry, takeaways that you will want to remember later. So I like having it accessible, but yes. the eBooks are great too and easy to get going with.
0: Well, thank you. And I'll add one more thing too, is if your listeners want to download my passive income starter kit, I will give that for free. And if you want to download that, you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus.
1: Awesome. I love that. And her Instagram is at Money Honey Rachel. The Facebook is facebook.com forward slash money honey Rachel. If you guys do read her book, make sure you review it and check it out. Thank you all for tuning in to Love the Agent podcast. Please visit us online at lovetheagent.com or you can hit me up on Instagram or Facebook and let me know any topics that you'd like to cover. Thank you for tuning in to our first ever episode. Next week, we will be going over what to do in your garden this fall.